Welcome to Link to Hope, a podcast from Kentucky Cancer Link. I'm your host, Ben Keaton. Until there's a cure for cancer, Kentuckians need hope today. Link to Hope is a monthly podcast featuring experts discussing ways to remove barriers for Kentuckians in need of screenings, diagnosis, and treatment for cancer. In this episode, we will talk about health policies and the impact they have on patients and families living with cancer. As we will hear today, when innovative treatments come to market, we often will need to update policy to make sure patients can use that treatment. Also, some policies have unintended consequences for cancer patients, and advocates work tirelessly to make sure their concerns are heard and fixed. We are joined by Christy Young with the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network and Miranda Sloan with the Kentucky Society of Clinical Oncology. Both are experts in state government relations, and we'll talk about the work they do with advocates and legislators to help push for policies to improve access to care. Christy Young and Miranda Sloan, thank you both for joining us today. Uh, Christy, I thought we would start with you. Uh, If you could tell us a little bit about the mission for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network and the work that you all do on a daily basis. Sure. So ACS can, um, the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, also known as ACS can, um, focuses on basically attaining a world free from the pain and suffering of cancer. And one of the ways we do that is, is the main way we do that is through public policy. And because that that can be part of a huge solution. ACS CAN focuses on preventing cancer, seeking new cures and treatments, and ensuring that all Americans have access to um, medical care that could potentially save their life. Um, And we also have volunteers and staff who work tirelessly advocating at every level of government, um, from local city councils to um, all the way up to Congress. And Miranda, can you talk to us a little bit about um, the Kentucky Society of Clinical Oncology and the work that you all do? Sure. So the Kentucky Society of Clinical Oncology is a state affiliate for the American Society of Clinical Oncology. And we also work with other um, national stakeholders. So um, the American Society of Hematology, as well as the NCCN, um, along with uh, local and state stakeholders um, like the Kentucky Medical Association and Christy Young at ACS CAN and others to um, not only deliver um, education to our allied providers and physician members, but also to advocate for not only their profession, but as well as their patients. You both mentioned um, policy and and advocating. Can you talk a little bit more about why that's an important part of your mission and how that kind of helps you all fulfill, um, you know, the promise that, that you've provided to the people that you serve? And Christy, I'll start with you. Yeah, so cancer is one of the leading causes of death um, in the United States. And so I think one of the big ways we can really address that on a large scale is through policy, which is why I got involved. Um, it's it's We want to make a ripple effect and a, and a large impact. So getting laws passed through Congress um, and even on the local level can really help reduce uh, the burden of cancer in our communities. And Miranda, what kind of um, policies do you all advocate for and how do you work with other organizations to kind of find a way to, to, to achieve a common goal? 
So collaboration is always key when you're trying to make um, make any real impact. Uh, there's so many other um, groups out there that are advocating for for their interests that making sure you come together and are trying to echo essentially the same message across the board with multiple organizations, um, I think is absolutely critical in order to make sure that we're, we're really um, exacting any change. I feel like you had a couple questions said that and, um, and I want to make sure I unpack every single one. Um, Could you repeat that question just one more time for me, Ben? I'm sorry. That's okay. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, first of all, why an organization like yours does policy work. Um, so that's kind of question number one. And then the second question of that is really what you're starting to talk about. And that is working alongside other organizations so that you all can collaborate and come to some policy solutions together to help further both your mission and their mission as well. Well, policy in and of itself is so is so critical to um, to, to making any change. You know, it's a p- policy plays a role in how our doctors get paid, to how our patients are able to access medication, um, and, and so on and so forth. So, in order to create any real change, whether it's um, uh, either on a state or a federal level or, you know, around regulations um, through the cabinet, so on and so forth, um, making sure that you're um, being mindful that if you can't get any changes in the system, you need to start examining the policies on which that system was built and um, and and having those conversations with the folks that are, are in charge of um voting and drafting and sponsoring legislation um, to, to, to really see a, a bigger impact. That actually brings up a really interesting point uh, that, that I'd like to take a step back. Uh, can both of you talk a little bit of kind of a policy 101? Um, you know, how are, how, how are bills made into to laws and what is your all's organization's role in that process? And uh, Christy, we'll start with you, and then Miranda will go to you. Sure. I, I, I unmuted myself successfully, Ben. Um, <laughs> we, so we really just, um, we work in our communities, we identify a problem, and then we try to find, you know, a champion legislator to help us get that issue addressed within the legislature. Um, and I don't know if you want me to get, you know, go through the technical ways that the bill moves through the legislature, but um, we really just look for stakeholders and um, champions for this, for these, you know, specifically we've got a couple of, we look at the, um, the chairs for the health and family services in the house. And um, we work with the Senate to get through these bills, to get these bills passed. So I don't know exactly if I'm answering your question, but, no, I think that's a, a, a good answer to the question. Miranda, I'll hand it over to, to you to talk a little bit about um, how the healthcare community and advocacy organizations in the healthcare community work to educate legislators so that they understand some of the complexities of uh, the bills that they see. Absolutely. Um, you know, I feel like Kentucky um, is very fortunate in that many of the bills that represent um, 
many of the bills that impact medicine and healthcare. Um, we've got a really great committee uh, formed with, you know, a, a diverse group of legislators that have some background in in healthcare, um, whether they're physical therapists. We've got pharmacists, um, uh, Senator Alvarado, who chairs. Um, um, over on the Senate side, you know, as a physician and Representative Moser on the House side, who, you know, chairs the uh, Health and Family Services Committee. She's a um, she's a nurse by trade. Uh, but one of the things that I think um, escapes uh, a lot of folks notice is that sometimes those folks in the legislature that are voting on these uh, key issues don't always come from a healthcare background. So being able to go in and supply them with a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with a handful of bullet points and says, this is what this piece of legislation will do. This is what this piece of leg- legislation won't do. And this is who is going to be impacted by it. Um, if you vote yes, or if you vote no, and just leaving that with them. Uh, because uh, again, when you have folks who are, you know, either bankers by trade or farmers by trade, they might not be familiar with some of the nuances of some of these le- uh, pieces of legislation. For example, one that came up in the previous session on uh, copay accumulators. There was a single buzzword that um, that was put in an op-ed, I believe. And anyways, it, it created a lot of questions in a place where there shouldn't have been any questions. And oftentimes when that happens um, during a session, and you get too many questions, bills often get kind of shuffled to the side and um, and you don't hear about it again. So um, fortunately, when we go into this new session, I know that um, Representative Bentley plans to carry that bill again. And now that everybody that worked on it and around it and advocated for it, uh, we all know what the issues were last year and being able to educate the legislators last year on it, knowing that we have a better chance this year on actually getting it passed. So that's that's one of the key reasons education is so critical. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I would say, too, looking for stories specifically, if we're talking about copay cum- accumulator um, issues, helping helping our volunteers identify what those issues are. Sometimes they don't know exactly what to call them. So making sure that the um, the legislators ha- can hear from their constituents, I think makes a big difference in, in changing policy. And if they think it's something significant that needs to be worked on, that really um, makes a difference. Speaking of, of issues to work on, can you all talk a little bit kind of generally about your all's priorities for this upcoming session um, and what you're hearing from our elected officials on what their priorities might be. So we'll start with uh, Miranda. Let's start with you, and we'll talk a little bit about your priorities, and then we'll t- uh, move over to Christy and talk about ACS CAN's priorities. Sure. So um, this is probably um, going to sound a lot like just about what everybody else who works in advocacy is going to say, but funding, funding, and funding <laughs> is really going to be our our major focus going into the session. You know, last year they passed a one-year budget, should have been two, uh, but along came the coronavirus and it kind of upended a lot of things. So we're going into the session anticipating another one-year budget. And the overall tone throughout late spring and summer was that we were going to probably run into some uh, issues around um, the the Kentucky's revenue, what, what would be 
um, realistic. Now, as we're getting closer to the session, we're hearing other things from the governor that uh, most programs are going to be um, be funded at equal levels from last year. But ensuring programs like the colorectal screening program, the tobacco cessation program, which took a hit last year and genuinely cannot afford to take another one, um, along with the pediatric um, cancer uh, research fund, making sure that those three line items um, maintain funding uh, that is similar to last year's is, is critical mass one. Um, other pieces of legislation we're going to be looking at, uh, again, is the copay accumulator bill. And, um, and we're working, our organization is working right now with the cabinet on a, um, on maybe doing some updates to their funding um, around um, Medicaid, Medicaid covering the cost of routine care costs for patients that are enrolled in clinical trials. And, and that kind of comes down from a federal um, federal issue that we worked on over the summer with ASCO. So that's, that's where um, the Kentucky Society of Clinical Oncology is focusing for, for the next few months. Yeah, and, and Ben, we're focused, um, like Miranda mentioned, really we're concerned about funding and specifically um, with the tobacco prevention and cessation funding at the state level, Kentucky ranks second in the nation for tobacco smoking and first in the nation for new lung cancer diagnoses. So as Miranda mentioned, we really can't take a hit. Um, I know uh, the budget previously, it went from, it, it actually took a 43% hit from 3.3 million to 2 million for tobacco prevention and cessation. Um, and every year, 8,900 Kentuckians die from smoking. So again, that just really highlights the need to, to not cut that or reduce that funding further. And if we can restore the funding to 3.3, that would be ideal. Although the CDC recommends um, funding at $56.4 million. So we're not even getting close to what the CDC recommends. And, and along, and, and I want to make another mention too, we do support and are going to advocate for colon cancer funding and pediatric as well. I thought we'd spend a couple of minutes diving into a few of those topics that you mentioned. Uh, you both mentioned the copay accumulator program uh, as a bill that was uh, filed last year and is likely to, to, uh, be a priority again this year. Uh, for those of us that are not familiar with the program, can you talk a little bit about that um, and why it's something that we need to address and, and perhaps what a path forward for that bill might look like in um, the upcoming session? Christy, I'll start with you on that one. Well, I'd say our primary concern is that we're, that we are not, uh, um, that cancer patients are not being hit with more barriers um, and that, you know, if, if they're getting an extra cost to, to their expensive medication and they can't afford their medication, that's a problem. So we really are, you know, ACS can is focused on removing barriers for cancer patients. So, you know, the copay accumulator bill is one way to do that. And Miranda, you mentioned uh, the, the bill being filed by um, Representative Bentley. I believe that Senator Alvarado also has a bill. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what the the path forward for that piece of legislation might look like and you know, how the advocacy community can work together to help push something like that forward? 
Sure. So um, the great thing about companion bills, and you'll have to excuse me because I've not looked at the um, the language in Senator Alvarado's, um, the Kentucky Voices for Health um, group had a um, policy forum and Representative Bentley had mentioned that he was going to um, revisit that bill again this year. Um, but in the hope that they are companion bills and identical, um, it really doubles the um, chances of it being able to pass because they're working at it from both sides of the aisle. So whichever one makes makes the jump first obviously has the most likelihood of passing. But that being said, um, in terms of seeing it passing, um, you know, that bill for all intents and purposes will be assigned to the banking and insurance committee on either side. So speaking with the chair of those respective committees and making sure that this is a legislative priority for them, that they understand it well, perhaps talking with the committee members on the front end and kind of, you know, whipping the votes and saying, how do you feel about this? If it does come to the table, are you comfortable uh, supporting it and letting the chair know, hey, the votes are already there. This is an easy win. Everybody wants to see it. Go ahead and put it on the agenda. And once it makes it off the agenda and uh, fingers crossed um, goes to the floor for a hearing, making sure that you're getting that one pager out to everybody that's going to have a voice. So um, and, and just uh, continuing in that fashion when it uh, makes it across the aisle to um to the other side. So, um, again, last year, everybody really liked the bill until there was a little bit of confusion. And, and that's where our work as ad, um, as advocates really plays a huge role in making sure that before it even comes to a vote, everybody's on the same page about what it does exactly and, and understanding what it does not do. On another topic, uh, you both mentioned funding as a policy priority for, for, for both groups. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the funding needs and why Kentucky needs to be spending more on cancer prevention? Yeah, um, I, I would say we're just not, and I hate to sound negative, but we're just not doing enough in terms of cancer. Um, I... I think, especially in the tobacco space, and, and anybody who knows me knows that that's really my passion right now until we change this. Um, but Kentucky, you know, we still need to look at passing higher tobacco taxes, making sure that um, any sort of ordinance that's being passed on the local level is comprehensive. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we just, there's a threefold way to address lung cancer. It's through taxes, through comprehensive smoke-free policy, and um, making sure that those programs are funded. And so um, some of that funding would go to the quit line at the state level, where if people are, are ready to quit, I know a lot of people who are addicted to tobacco want to quit, but they have to have the resources. So um, I hope I answered your question, Ben, but that's one, I mean, tobacco is a huge reason that we still have not, you know, that we're still number one in the United States. And the kind of and Miranda, you that, also mentioned funding as a. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was going to speak kind of to um, dovetail on to what some of Christy had said in terms of resources. It's it's very impressive um, when you look at Kentucky, um, even with the geographical limitations and maybe some of the funding limitations to see the amount of work happening. There are 
so many groups and nonprofit organizations, and we've got the fantastic work happening at the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville and and their um, programs, and and just with the other large organizations with what's going on with St. Elizabeth and Northern Kentucky. There's so many resources. So finding a way to get all of those resources working together um, and and identifying places where we don't need to reinvent the wheel and being able to do a bit more on the collaboration. I really, you know, what this, what I think would help Kentucky um, significantly is, is strong, strong leadership and someone from the top taking the standards saying Kentucky is, is in really bad shape in terms of cancer incidence and mortality we're going to create a comprehensive plan in order to come at it from multiple fronts because because it really would take a multi-pronged effort to get a real move of the needle. You know, we see what happened with the uh, with Kentucky in terms of colon cancer um, screenings and um, and and you know we were. I mean, at the bottom of the list, just doing a really poor job with colon cancer screening. And then along came Dr. Whitney Jones and the Colon Cancer Prevention Project and, and the work from the Limestone Group. And and they've really moved the needle on that significantly. I, I want to say that they're up, we're up to like number 17 in terms of screenings. Um, and And that's what we need for lung cancer. That's what we need in the state is to somebody to stand up and say, Hey, I'm going to head head up this initiative, and we're going to make a big change. And um, like I said, it's it's fantastic to see so many resources. Uh, I think that we could do a better job um, working together. I'd like to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, we've been talking a lot about politics and policy at the state level. Can you talk a little bit about any issues that you all might be following that on the national or at the federal level that impact the cancer community? Well, I'd like to celebrate a win um, if we're talking about federal um, federal legislation. So the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network was um, a just very focused on getting the Henrietta Lacks Enhancing Cancer Research Act passed on the federal level. And that actually Pat, that was that passed through the Senate. Um, maybe a day or so ago and is awaiting the president's signature. And um, just kind of a quick snapshot of what that is. That bill is named after an African-American woman who died from cervical cancer and whose cells were actually taken without her knowledge um, or consent during treatment and have been used to develop modern medicine, um, some important breakthroughs in cancer research, and even... um, it uh, affected the polio vaccine and treatments for HIV and Parkinson's. So um, we really uh, on the federal level pushed that bill and um, it passed. So again, that's, that's a win um, in, in our, in our book. And Miranda, I, I know that you all work closely with the American society for clinical oncology. Can you talk a little bit about some of both Kentucky and the national organizations, federal priorities? Sure. So um, one in particular that was a part of our congressional summit back in September was the Clinical Treatment Act, and that's H.R. 913. And this bill would essentially require Medicaid 
to cover routine care costs for patients um, participating in approved clinical trials. So um, currently, uh, these costs are considered uh, non-experimental, like lab tests and uh, physician visits. Um, Currently, Medicaid is the only major payer that is not required to cover these routine care costs. So uh, Medicare covers them. uh, along with other uh, private insurance, commercial insurance programs. So what we have done is taken that piece of legislation um, and to the cabinet and um, 15 states have passed independent legislation um, in order to mandate Medicaid to cover these costs. And um so we have taken this information to Kentucky's cabinet and are having a couple meetings to see what we can do to get Kentucky to also cover these costs. Uh, research has shown that folks who make below $50,000 a year are significantly less likely to enroll in a clinical trial. And um, unfortunately, many folks in Kentucky who now rely on Medicaid, especially um, in light of the pandemic and being uh, losing their um, employer-based um, healthcare coverage because of being furloughed or let off. Um, since we have so many folks who are so reliant upon Medicaid now, making sure that they have just as much access to clinical trials, which save lives, um, as folks who um, who may be on Medicare or have have another um, payer, um, is something that that we're working on. There was. Um, Another bill on the federal level that we also worked on um, with ASCO, and that was the um, um, Safe Step Act. Um, and it has a companion bill. So in the House side, it's 2279, and on the Senate side, it's 2546. Uh, but essentially, this act would at least establish exceptions to step therapy protocols in, uh, in a couple different instances. So that way, if there is a medication that the physician says, their patient needs, then their patient would get that um, drug as long as they met one of those um, one of those exceptions. So that is a um, another piece of legislation again that we're seeing both on the House and Senate side at a federal level that we're watching. In keeping kind of with the uh, national perspective, I'd love to hear from you all if you're seeing any trends from your sister organizations or your national organizations, uh, either at the federal level or in other states that you think we should start taking a look at in Kentucky from a policy perspective. Christy, I'll start with you. Um, Yeah, I was trying to think what, what would resonate the most. I mean, Kentucky has done some good things with telehealth. I know um, making sure that folks have access to to their doctors during the pandemic um, and making sure that folks have access to adequate and affordable health care. I know in in some states they have not uh, expanded Medicaid. um, So I think, I mean, ACS in particular will be working across the country to make sure that Medicaid is expanded and that folks have access. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of other, other opportunities that would translate in Kentucky. Miranda, do you have any thoughts? Um, no, we, um, our state affiliate, um, is a part of an organization called Nozen and, um, and it allows, um, 
folks like me and, um, and, and my counterparts in other states across the nation to kind of come together and, and see um, legislatively, you know, what's happening in other states and, and how we can share resources and share insight and how um, certain pieces of legislation have played out. There's one in particular, the copay accumulator um, bill that's being seen kind of nationwide. And, uh, and, and we've been collaborating with the Access to Care Coalition um, kind of through that as well to, to make sure that we've got the most up-to-date information. And again, that we're kind of bringing a unified voice um, to, to some of these issues. So last question for both of you, uh, now that everybody has had a chance to listen to this podcast and is inspired to go out and get engaged uh, in policymaking, uh, can you talk a little bit about how people can get engaged and, and why the the average citizen should be having conversations with their legislate, legislators about issues that are important to them? Well, I can say they could certainly engage with us. Um, Please visit fightcancer.org, and um, you know I'm I'm assuming that most of your audience is Kentucky-based, um, but reach out to us. And um, I think it's important for folks to know that their legislators are people, and <laughs> they they put on their pants the same way we do, and they they want to hear from their constituents and they want to make a difference. Um, and I think. If you can build a relationship with your legislator, that that's that always helps your community, especially if you're just voicing a problem or a concern. You never know your your legislator might have a family member who has been affected by whatever issue it is and may want to bring a bill to the table to make change. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would encourage folks to reach out to their legislators. And if they don't know how to do that, they can certainly reach out to us that ACS can. And to kind of add, add to what Christy has said is, um, you know, Frankfurt is going to happen with or without you. Um, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, the decisions are going to be made and you can be a part of that or, or not. And, and either way is okay. Uh, but remembering that, you know, the policies that we're working on today are policies that you and I and everyone is going to want to be there in the event that you need them there in the event that you get sick and that you need adequate coverage and that you need to reduce um, any interference um, with, you know, insurance companies or, you know, other parties that, you know, say, Okay, well, your doctor may have prescribed that medication or your doctor may have recommended that test or they, you know, might think that you need to stay a few more days in the hospital. But at the end of the, you know, that somebody else is going to make those decisions. So being able to um, make sure that that relationship between you and your provider uh, maintains and sustains the integrity that it needs. Uh, Again, it's, you know, we're all only able bodied for so long. And uh, and again, (laughs) <laughs> the policies that we work on today are the policies that I personally am going to want in place in the event that I ever get sick or one of my loved ones does. Well, thank you both for uh, the conversation today and sharing some of your insights into the policy world. Um, I look forward to uh, hearing from our listeners as well on some of the policy issues that they're going to be following as well. So thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks for being a part of our conversation. 
Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and share on social media. We are back each month with a new episode. Please join us next time. Thank you.